Last year in March, shortly after the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic, my school went fully online and closed campus. They gave us a week with no classes so students could move home and professors could prepare for online learning. The day we found out, my friends and I decided to go camping immediately. By that evening, we had made our way to a local national forest where we set up a large tent. That night, we bundled up in warm layers and sleeping bags and gazed up at the stars in the Wisconsin sky. The forest was a space that felt safe. It was an escape during an uncertain time. Like myself, many Americans have been visiting their local outdoor spaces. Parks and trails seem like some of the only safe spaces outside our homes. As bars, restaurants, malls, and other indoor spaces we used to go to socialize have closed, visitation to city and state parks has drastically increased, especially in urban areas. This increase of human activity in parks has resulted in the degradation of some parks and green spaces. This has sparked a large conversation within the outdoor community. For decades, outdoor organizations have been claiming that the outdoors is a space for everyone. They've been pushing for increased access and diversity in outdoor spaces. But now that more people are actually spending time outdoors, we need to take a critical look at the ways we recreate and what we consider responsible environmental ethics. Howdy listeners, I'm Anders Prater, and today we're going to talk about environmental ethics. If you spend time on public land such as state or national parks, you have probably heard of Leave No Trace. For those of you who don't know, Leave No Trace is a nonprofit organization that looks to provide information about how to care for the outdoors and is best known for the seven principles of Leave No Trace, which are, according to their website, a quote, easily understood framework of minimum impact practices for anyone visiting the outdoors, unquote. For the past two decades, Leave No Trace, or LNT, has grown to become the standard for appropriate behavior in the outdoors. It's a staple of the Scouts of America curriculum. It's a staple of the National Outdoor Leadership School curriculum. The National Park Service, the U.S. Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, the U.S. Fisheries and Wildlife Service, the National Association of State Park Directors, and the United States Army Corps of Engineers all have formal partnerships with LNT. Leave No Trace calls themselves the Center for Outdoor Ethics. They have posited their seven principles as the universal standard for acceptable outdoor behavior. It sounds like a positive thing, and it's a proactive program that is widely accepted, and the main focus is to educate people in order to protect outdoor spaces. But LNT is not free from flaws. I think that we need to take a critical look at Leap No Trace to better understand the problems with its name, its proposed universality, the ways that it's used for gatekeeping, its limited viewpoint, and its foundation on a colonial understanding of wilderness. Because of these negative aspects of LNT, I believe that it should be replaced with environmental ethics that recognize outdoor recreation's impact on the entire planet, not just designated outdoor recreation areas. We need ethics that are informed by traditional ecological knowledge that respect the cultural and historical significance of land and do not attempt to be universal, but rather are bioregional and specific to place. We need ethics that recognize the many different ways we interact with and form relationships with outdoor spaces. I know that is a bold statement, and it's a lot to unpack, but before we get started, I want to define a few words. 
I'm going to be using some language today that can be understood in many ways, and I want to ensure that we are all on the same page when I use this language. The first of which is outdoors. I'm going to be using the word outdoors a lot, and when I say it, I mean any space that is not inside a building. Even the busiest street in New York City is outdoors. Now, when I'm talking about parks or quote-unquote wilderness areas, I will use their names or call them parks or wilderness areas. But when I say outdoors, I mean anything outside a building. The second thing I will be saying a lot is outdoor recreation. Outdoor recreation is often understood as extreme outdoor sports. And when people say this, I picture mountaineers hauling huge packs full of technical gear up the side of a mountain, or whitewater kayakers weaving in and out of rapids on a river. But in this episode today, when I say outdoor recreation, I mean anything you do outside for pleasure. This can be as simple as throwing a frisbee or going for a walk. My definition includes extreme outdoor sports, but is not limited to them. When I say outdoor recreation, I mean everything from bird watching to base jumping. And finally, in today's episode, I will also be talking about access, diversity, inclusion, and justice. When I talk about access, I'm referencing individuals' means to participate in outdoor recreation, despite their abilities or differences. When I talk about diversity, I'm referring to the different characteristics represented within a group. Inclusion, on the other hand, is where the differences present within a group are appreciated and seen as a benefit to the group. I talk about inclusion as explicitly different from diversity, because diversity is when differences are present, while inclusion is when those differences are valued. Finally, justice, the most complex of the four concepts. It's always related to a specific context, and for justice to be achieved, oppressive power structures must be identified and deconstructed. The aim of justice is to uphold the autonomy and well-being of all people while recognizing the specific context of each individual. Today, I will attempt to foster some environmental justice by critically analyzing Leave No Trace. Keeping those definitions in mind, let's explore the origins of LNT. After World War II in America, visitation to national parks and other public lands boomed. After a few decades, these parks, which were advertised as pristine wilderness areas, were showing signs of human influence from this influx of tourism. This prompted the U.S. Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, and the National Park Service to collaborate and create a set of land ethics. These land ethics were first distributed as a pamphlet entitled Leave No Trace Land Ethics. Then, in 1993, in Washington, D.C., these land management agencies came together with non-government organizations at what was called the Outdoor Recreation Summit, where Leave No Trace was formed as a standalone nonprofit organization. Leave No Trace quickly grew in popularity as they provided educational programs for kids and teens. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, outdoor recreation on public lands continued to surge. This, along with environmentalism's increasing popularity, made Leave No Trace more prevalent than ever. Then, with the advent of social media, Leave No Trace went online, reaching more people than it ever had. Not only does the organization have a strong social media presence, but they also have all of their educational programming easily accessible online. Their website claims that each year, 15 million Americans are reached through conservation initiatives, education, training, research, and outreach. 
Now, before I get critical, I don't want to dismiss the positive impact that LNT has had on outdoor communities and spaces in America. So let's take a look at some of the reasons LNT is a good thing. First and foremost, it's an organization focused on education. I firmly believe that education is crucial in the fight for environmental justice, and education promotes access to outdoor spaces in ways that no other form of conservation can. It's so important to reach as many people as possible for education to be effective, and there's no doubt about it, LNT is good at outreach. Every year, millions of people are exposed to their programs and the seven principles. The second positive thing about LNT is the simplicity of the seven principles. The entire ethic can be described in seven short rules that are easy to remember and to teach. Thirdly, it's widely accepted. LNT is a huge organization with influence almost everywhere in the outdoors. Anywhere you go in the United States, if you're on public lands, Leave No Trace is considered best practice. This makes it easy to feel confident that you are following the rules no matter what public land you prefer to recreate on. I'll admit, Leave No Trace has done some very positive things for public lands. And in my opinion, they take an excellent approach to conservation by being proactive rather than reactive. All that said, I think it's time we cast a critical eye on Leave No Trace. I think we should begin with the fundamental beliefs upon which the organization is built. Leave No Trace is founded on the idea that there are certain spaces devoid of humans and that the condition that they are presently in represents their pristine state. This colonial view of wilderness is historically inaccurate. It disregards the way that ecosystems change over time through complex interactions between flora, fauna, and the climate. And I'm including humans here as fauna. In their paper, Beyond Leave No Trace, professors Gregory Simon and Peter Alagona note that all landscapes now designated as parks or wilderness areas were once the site of human habitation and productive labor. They give the example of the High Sierra's Alpine Meadows, which is an extremely famous destination. It's been written about by the likes of John Muir and is featured in countless social media influencers' photos. But these Alpine Meadows for decades served as seasonal grazing patches for sheep. This is an activity that forever altered the vegetation and the soil. This example proves that the outdoors does not have a pristine state. It's fluid and ever-changing. In 1995, in his paper, The Trouble with Wilderness, historian William Cronin claims that the wilderness is quite profoundly a human creation. And when we recognize that the national parks were created through the dispossession of land from indigenous peoples, it becomes obvious that the wilderness was created. Leave No Trace subscribes to the very belief that Cronin is highlighting in his paper, the belief that there are pristine, untouched sanctuaries of land that humans can escape to only as visitors. The idea that we can only be visitors in certain spaces leads me to the second problem that LNT presents, the name itself. The organization being named Leave No Trace promotes the idea that we can visit, observe, and recreate, but never leave a trace on certain lands which is impossible. As I mentioned earlier, humans are fauna within an ecosystem, and LNT perpetuates the myth that humans can go to a space and not influence it. This couldn't be farther from the truth. Humans are not entities that are removed from ecosystems and just observe them. We are fauna within our respective ecosystems and our actions influence those ecosystems. Not only does the name Leave No Trace perpetuate a myth about environmental impact, it contributes to the erasure of indigenous cultures and histories. Now I know that seems like a stretch, that the name itself contributes to erasing histories. 
but the name Leave No Trace implies that these lands are in their ideal state without human inhabitation, even though these landscapes were all once inhabited by human groups. The LNT website boasts repeatedly that they are powered by science, and they use research-based conclusions, which means that they believe the best way to interact with these public lands is to remove as many human traces from them as possible. This manufactured wilderness is a product of settler colonialism. These large swaths of land where people can only visit are spaces that colonists constructed in order to play in the woods when they felt the need to escape the industrialized world. And I acknowledge that LNT does recognize on their website that the lands we enjoy through our outdoor activities are the traditional and ancestral lands of indigenous people and nations. And their intention in this acknowledgement is to, quote, honor cultural ways of stewarding the land practiced from ancient times to this day, end quote. And I think this is a good acknowledgement. The way that it's worded is nice. They recognize that indigenous ways of stewarding the land have been practiced for centuries and are still practiced today. But there's no evidence that they use this knowledge to inform their principles of environmental stewardship. And taking a deeper look at their website, I found their history page on which they acknowledge that their headquarters in Boulder, Colorado is on land that is the traditional territory of Arapaho, Cheyenne, Ute, and Sioux peoples. And again, I think that recognizing we are living and recreating on stolen land is a great first step. And this acknowledgement is specific. It includes the names of the indigenous nations whose land was dispossessed. But it brings me to the topic of inclusion. I define inclusion as valuing differences and seeing them as a benefit. And I don't see how LNT is including stewardship practices of indigenous nations in their understanding of environmental stewardship. Because there are so many native nations in the United States, which are all unique, they have their own cosmologies and value systems, while the seven principles of LNT are presented as a universal ethic that can be applied to all landscapes. And yes, earlier I said that LNT being so widely accepted is a good thing. So how can I say that universalism is a bad thing? Well, I think the fact that it's so widespread is good because it makes it easy for people to understand the expectations when they recreate outside. But there is nuance to everything, and universalism poses problems as well. It fails to recognize the uniqueness of outdoor spaces, and it creates a false understanding that there is a single right way to interact with all outdoor spaces. Now, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing LNT causes us to reflect on our individual impact, or that it has rules. I definitely think that there are things that are never appropriate in the outdoors because they are harmful to the environment, but I don't think that there is a universal approach that can appreciate the complexity of all of Earth's landscapes. As I proposed at the beginning of the episode, I believe environmental ethics that are not posed as universal, but instead are bioregional and are informed by traditional ecological knowledge, will be much more inclusive and foster more justice than universal ethics ever could. I believe that the inclusion and justice that would be fostered through place-based environmental ethics would be far more positive than the simplicity that's created by universalism. I don't want to talk too much about solutions, because I don't want to present myself as having all the answers. I do not, and I know that. Today I want to focus on the why. I want to identify the problems that I see, so that as a community, people who love the outdoors can come together, and we can work on the how. We can find solutions to these problems. Let's jump back in. 
Another issue that has come to light more recently is the use of LNT as a form of gatekeeping. In the age of social media, humans are hyper-connected and we share more information faster than ever. This includes photos of ourselves outside, doing whatever we like to do most on our favorite photo sharing apps. And this has led to people lecturing other people about photos of themselves in the outdoors. This is a frequent occurrence and it takes many forms. For example, there is an Instagram named Public Lands Hates You. It's an account where an anonymous user reposts people's photos with a lecture about why those people are breaking leave no trace policy. Quote unquote influencers have been especially targeted by Public Lands Hates You. And the account has sparked a ton of controversy. It has helped promote the culture of digital shaming in the name of Leave No Trace. In March of 2019, Danielle Williams, the founder of Melanin Basecamp, published an article titled The Miseducation of Leave No Trace, Policing Black and Brown Bodies in the Outdoors. In her article, she highlights the fact that Leave No Trace is used as a tool to shame black and brown individuals for their actions in outdoor spaces. It's a clear example of LNT being used to gatekeep. And given the outdoor recreation industry's history of being dominated by whiteness, this is not a surprise. The threat of digital shaming can deter people from posting photos of their outdoor experiences. Williams herself admits to being nervous about posting photos of her own outdoor excursions because she fears being lectured by people who she doesn't know online. And this creates a problem for representation. If BIPOC individuals who are posting their outdoor experiences on social media are being attacked and delegitimized by self-proclaimed LNT police, how does that reflect on the outdoor community's attitude towards inclusion and diversity? Representation can be an extremely powerful tool that can help diversify the outdoors, but when individuals who represent marginalized communities are shamed in the name of Leave No Trace, it reflects poorly on LNT as an organization and the entire outdoor community. I feel it's important to add that in September of 2019, Leave No Trace responded to this problem by updating their social media policy and publishing an article condemning shaming in the name of Leave No Trace. The author, Alyssa Walsh, did a great job of explaining why shaming is an ineffective education tactic, and she reiterates that the ultimate goal of LNT is education. Well, I think this was a great response. It does not change the fact that LNT is founded upon colonial ideas of wilderness that were manufactured by white settlers, and the principles of the organization are built to maintain these wilderness areas, which have historically been predominantly white spaces. So whether or not the organization leaders intended upon it, LNT has been and is being used as a tool for gatekeeping in the outdoors. And in terms of representation, LNT has some work to do. They have a page on their website dedicated to diversity, equity, and inclusion, which details the many different steps they're taking to foster these three things in the outdoors. But there's another page on their website, the staff page, which is a sea of white faces. And we know that a key part of introducing marginalized people to the outdoors is having individuals who represent marginalized groups in leadership positions. I don't want to sound like an insatiable critic, and I would like to applaud the fact that there are so many women on staff at LNT. That's a huge step in the right direction. But I'm not content with a few steps of progress. I'm interested in highlighting the flaws I see and pushing outdoor organizations to do better. In the conclusion of her article, Williams notes 
that people who criticize others for stepping off trail but don't condemn inequitable environmental policies are not concerned with protecting the outdoors. They are concerned with keeping the outdoors exclusive. And this, to me, exposed Leave No Trace's largest flaw. It isn't actually environmentalism. The scope of Leave No Trace lacks an understanding of the big picture. It's focused solely on limiting human impact on certain landscapes, with no regard for the other impacts outdoor recreation has on the rest of the earth. The fact that Leave No Trace is centered on actions taken while on recreation areas with no respect to the impact that those actions have on the rest of the planet proves that LNT is not interested in bettering the state of the entire planet. It's an organization that exists to protect settler colonial recreation areas. LNT is an extension of settler colonialism because it places greater value on areas which were stolen from indigenous nations and reserved for recreation, and it promotes the consumption of goods that lead to degradation and pollution of areas where humans actively live. A contemporary example of this is a project that LNT has recently undertaken. They call it Zero Landfill Research, the big picture. But this research has nothing to do with reducing the waste produced by visitors to parks. The research was primarily focused on waste management. In the research findings, they state the primary purpose of the study was to, quote, better understand how park managers and partners can achieve waste management goals, helping to ensure a sustainable future for the parks, end quote. The research was concerned with the future of the parks and not global or even national waste management. The research is posed as landfill research, but it doesn't actually recognize the effects that recreation had anywhere outside of the national parks. The research was concerned with making sure recyclables and landfill waste was properly sorted, which is a positive thing. But it doesn't mention anything about how this waste was generated or how consumption outside of the park influences waste management in the park. It doesn't mention anything about the benefits of reusables over disposables. It's not aimed at reducing waste. It's aimed at reducing waste inside the park and making sure that waste inside the park is managed properly. This is a glaring example of the way that LNT attempts to separate what takes place inside parks and what takes place outside parks. All of the landscapes and ecosystems in the world are undeniably connected, and the methodology promoted by Leave No Trace does not seem to acknowledge that. The first principle of Leave No Trace is plan ahead and prepare. And in the explanation of this principle on their website, there is a section that encourages people to prepare meals in advance and to cook them using a stove, stating, quote, remember, a stove leaves no trace, unquote. This claim completely disregards the impact that the production of a camp stove has or the ecological impact that the use of a camp stove has. There's no consideration given to the fact that metals have to be mined, natural gas needs to be extracted in order to just produce the stove, and then it must be transported to a store where it can be bought, and then either alcohol or gas must be burned for that stove to work. Leave No Trace is ill-equipped to address the effects of outdoor recreation that aren't immediate and localized, such as exploitative labor, pollution, and other ecological damages. Americans are already so removed from the impacts of their consumption due to globalization, and Leave No Trace has encouraged this consumerist globalized society through collaboration with corporations in the outdoor industry. 
and the promotion of consumption of certain goods as the remedy to negative human impacts on wilderness areas and parks. Yes, so many of your favorite outdoor brands collaborate with or have formal partnerships with Leave No Trace, but that is because Leave No Trace advocates for individuals to purchase and use the products those companies sell. Leave No Trace in no way acknowledges the traces made by the production and consumption of the goods that they promote. So what does any of this have to do with the increase in public land use in the wake of COVID? Well, the rise in visitation to public lands caused by COVID presents the outdoor community with a unique opportunity. It's a chance to reconsider how we use outdoor spaces and what we view as ethical environmental behavior. There is an entire new wave of people utilizing outdoor spaces, and they will undeniably alter the landscapes they interact with. In this moment, we have a choice. We could double down on Leave No Trace, elevate its message, and look to teach it to all newcomers in the outdoors. But I believe this would be advocating for an antiquated outdoor ethic built on settler colonial ideas and a historically inaccurate understanding of wilderness. Alternatively, we could create a new standard for environmental ethics, centered on environmental justice, an ethic that applies to the places we recreate as well as the places we inhabit. I think that we should recognize humans will inevitably leave traces on every space they interact with. And instead of looking to erase those traces, we should work towards leaving positive ones. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's episode was produced by me, Anderson Prater, and was written by Anderson Prater and Catherine McComas Bussey. A special thanks to Cameron Kadlebowski for letting me use his office as a recording studio, and to CJ and Sam for their help with my critical analysis. 